We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. On today's show, we have Britt Robson of MinPost joining me here as we record this on a Wednesday afternoon, one day before the Wolves begin their post All Star break portion of the season. Uh, Britt, over the break, you, you took this time uh, to do actually one of my favorite things you do as a writer, and that's stopping and digging into one of the Wolves. Uh, assistant coaches, which I guess maybe doesn't sound like that sexy of a thing, (laughs) (laughs) right? Like on the surface, but I I think back to your David Vanterpool feature you wrote a couple years ago. I mean, sometimes these are the most prolific people that we have very little information about. And you uncovered some information on Micah Nori, uh, Chris Finch's David Vanterpool, his his lead man on uh, the Wolves bench this season. When you when you write these stories, what what goes into it? What are you? Why is it an important story to you? Because I'm I know it's a a topic you chose by choice, right? So I'd assume there's some level of heavy personal intrigue there. What goes into it? Well, uh, especially for Min Post, I wanted to keep it regular once a week, even with the break, and. Um, I thought, what could be kind of a timeless thing that I could hit people with who haven't seen the Wolves for six days? Uh, Mm -hmm. And then I thought, well, a personality profile would be good. And like most Wolves fans, I think I was charmed by uh, Norrie's halftime reports, you know, coming out of the locker room. Some of it is a quick synopsis of what happened in the first half and what they plan to do maybe in the second half, but it's usually really benign and it's uh, kind of milk toast. They don't usually want to reveal too much, or even if they do want to reveal too much, a lot of these coaches just speak in, you know, uh, uh, argot, you know, like uh, just uh, they, they, they don't enliven the, the, the thing at all. And Nori, I mean, is like the opposite of the that. opposite. Yeah, I mean, right. the first time I ever heard about it, I went, oh, okay, this guy is an interesting in- individual, an interesting human being. So I thought it was going to be like more of a personality profile. But the more I thought about it, and the more I- I've known I've 
wanted to do this for two or three weeks now. And so I began to watch Finch and Nori on the bench. And they're talking to each other all the time. I mean, it's just pretty incessant. And so that, to me, is a lot more interesting. Everybody can kind of figure out what kind of a guy Mike and Nori is. And I'm sure somebody will come along, maybe even me, in another year or two if he sticks around or if he goes somewhere else. And does a more in-depth look at, like, you know, he's married, he's got a couple of kids, he spends most of his time uh, away from the arena doing pretty pedestrian things like following his, doing uh, travelcations with his son who plays AAU baseball or something like that. And his daughter is a dancer, so he goes to a lot of recitals, that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, he, he's... He's somebody who is fairly typical human being away from the arena, but also somebody who is like Chris Finch has a great command of language and has a really kind of mischievous sense of humor. And so I thought that's going to be the core of my piece until I began to watch them on, on the bench. And I was thinking they're talking about the game. What else are they going to be talking about? This would be a way to kind of figure out what, happens on the fly and what is not on the fly. I mean, one of the things that Nori does is he does the game management stuff, which Finch said when he hired him, I want somebody who can, you know, regulate timeouts, end of quarter management and everything. And the thing that caught people's interest at that time was Jace Frederick did a really good preseason story on him. uh, And Nori was talking about how he charts the game from the end to the beginning. And, um, and so, how, you know, how is that done? And some of that is just saving your best for last if you need it. And, um, and, and so I just wanted to get into a lot more detail about how that stuff happens and where there are lines of authority, where um, Finch is delegating, where Finch is uh, allowing input, where Finch draws the line. Um, and the other cool thing about both Mike Adori and Chris Finch is they never duck a question. I mean, you know, they just, you can ask Chris Finch anything. I, I think, uh, I've done two, two <laughs> interviews with him now and he just seems like he welcomes, you know, questions that are, are fairly straightforward and, and cut to the chase. So a lot of the piece turned out to be just them describing their relationship and getting into the, the fact that this, uh, I mean, Mike Inori has, has uh, been purposefully designated by a couple of coaches, Mike Malone, one of them, who had him in Sacramento and brought him with him to Denver, and uh, Dwayne Casey, who uh, saw him as uh, he was on the staff or either that or director of scouting when uh, Casey was in Toronto and when Casey went to Detroit. Uh, he tabbed them for the offensive coordinator, essentially. So, um, but those coaches were more taking what Nori had rather than giving Nori something. Uh, the, the two mentors that I saw for Nori, one is obviously Chris Finch. They really hit it off in Denver, and that gets described in some detail. And then the other one is this guy, Butch Carter, who grew up in Middletown, Ohio with Nori, and they both went to Indiana University, albeit uh, 16 years apart. Carter is, I think, born in uh, 60, 
53 or 58 or something. Yeah, he was born in 58. And Nori was born on the day that Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's home run record. Uh, April, 8th, <laughs> April 8th, 1974. So, so Butch Carter had a, had a, a huge influence on, on Mike and Nori. Got him started, I think, I don't know. Did this. you know, Britt, did you know and leave this out of your piece that Butch Carter is Chris Carter? The wide receiver's brother. Oh, I did know that, but yeah, I left it out. You know me, I don't know football though. I mean, well, I, I was I just don't care about. Football. I just googled yeah, him. You're right. Yeah, he is. He and, is. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, I was just looking at like where where is Butch Carter coach? And what was his because, playing career? Because Chris Carter is a younger brother uh, to Butch Carter. Butch Carter said that uh, he and his brothers were around the Nori household all the time. Nori's father was uh, Butch Carter's mm -hmm. football coach. And so, uh, and like a father figure to him is what Butch Carter said. So the fact that Mike and Nori and Chris Carter probably hung out more than uh, him and Butch Carter when they were growing up. So I know, that's that's a crazy little detail. <laughs> I, I think when you uh, kind of backtracking to the Finch part of it, um, I think this to me this is such an interesting topic because even just over our conversations over the course of the year, so much of this stuff that we focused on just from a, you know, tracking the wolves standpoint right. is the defensive changes they've made, the rotational changes they've made, and just the overall coaching impact that, that Chris Finch has had. And when you were on a week ago and we were, we were talking about, you know, what is the impact of Chris Finch? You know, the Vegas figured they'd have 25 wins right now. They have 31, like quantifying the impact of a coach is is difficult and part of it is difficult because we often don't have information like this about right. it's not just the coach it's like right one like greg popovich or choose your coach de jour is not going to find success independently like right. there's just too many coaching things that need to happen over obviously just the course course of a week but even in the middle of the game i mean i i think about that sometimes just watching the game and seeing Finch, you know, running around and scrambling to tell this coverage, this play, co just coaching. And I go, man, if that was me, my head would be so full with that, that I would forget to leave Jade McDaniels on the bench for a quarter and a half, you know, right. like it would just be hard to manage it all. And my biggest takeaway from a basketball standpoint is Mike Honori is all the things that Chris Finch would forget, right? Right. He's he is that bumper um, that, you know, that is constantly influencing the game and thus has had a profound impact on the Wolves massively exceeding defensive expectations this year, finding answers to what we both certainly thought was a pretty broken rotation in terms of how to rotate this thing. And I mean, it isn't to, to take away from Chris Finch at all, but the reason Chris Finch has had success is in large part if you believe Chris Finch has had success it's it's right. due to the behind the scenes stuff that aren't even that behind the scenes that that Mike Nori does right and also the fact what was interesting to me was uh they both were like NBA lifers you know more than a decade close to two decades both of them just in all the backwoods areas I mean Mike Nori got into basketball because Butch Carter called him up because nobody would be like his Bobo to, you right. know, chart all his, you know, a then weird 
uh, situational analytics that he wanted to run. And uh, basically, Butch Carter lived, uh, Mike Honore lived with, with Butch Carter for two years and just listened to him, watched him do like the game planning film where they sit on the couch and Butch Carter would just go through his thought process. And so when Chris Fitch came along, at that time, Micah was already in Detroit. I mean, excuse me, Denver under Malone. And Finch left Houston to go to Denver. Was only there a year because uh, New Orleans kind of lured him away, I assume, with a better offer. Uh, right. New Orleans actually saw what uh, Finch had done with Jokic and Nurkic. Jokic and yep. Nurkic. And uh, they had cousins and AD. And so... Uh, that was one of the reasons. But anyway, they got together in Detroit and it was like Denver. Oops, yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Denver. And, and so uh, all of a sudden uh, they immediately, you know, recognize each other as kindred spirits. Part of it is a sense of humor. Anybody who hangs around Finch knows that he likes to tease people. He likes to, uh, you know, deflate you know, any of the pomp and, and all that other stuff. And Nori is the same way in terms of not so much as a teaser. He likes to actually, you know, be uh, somebody who uh, self-flagellates as a joke rather than uh, getting on other people. But he is a guy also with an interesting um, sense of humor and a, a wry kind of sardonic sense of humor. So they get it. And, and then, also, Malone gave the offense to Finch when Finch arrived, and Finch is looking around for people and finds out that Norey, in large part because of all the time he put in with um, Butch Carter and then all this advanced scouting he did and everything, he had the same kind of philosophy as Finch did, which is that the game is a flow. The game is not a series of set pieces. Uh right. What you want to do is you want to keep moving. And uh, Mike Honore had a quote that he used, uh, if the clock is running, so are we. And Fitch really liked it. Fitch went out of his way to tell me, you know, that was that was like, kind of like the first inkling that this guy is, you know, he's. Well, he's and that's on, happening. On my that's happening. The, exactly. Exactly. The Wolves are third in the league in pace this season, which is actually considering that your best offensive player is a plotting seven foot center. Pretty, I mean, that's hard to do. Right, you know? it, right. It was hard for Ryan to do as, as well. A lot of coaches, maybe the better way to say it is, I think a lot of coaches would look at a roster that is, you know, a lot of rosters are defined by their best player, right? Or that's right. the natural line of thinking. And so you you shape a style of play based off of them. Feels like what Chris Finch and Mike Nori have done is shape a style of play based on the others and have believed in Carl Anthony Towns' talent to fit into that precept. And I think some of that has to do with the fact that um, they got buy-in from Cat on being aggressive on defense. Yep. And if they have aggressive defense, that's going to kick up pace even more than if Cat uh, runs down the floor on offense. They worry more about Cat flying around on defense and then going, you know, he. I think they guessed that the easy part of getting Cat to hustle would be hunting points and transition. The hard part would be getting him to uh, meet 
the pick and roll at the nail or, or you know, not do a drop coverage. Um, but part of that is that, of course, Cat has been agitating for the idea that he could cover people on the perimeter for three years. So yeah. it really did work out. I mean, and, and the other thing that's interesting to me is that um, Finch is known as this offensive guru. And, and that was his legitimate, he earned that reputation at places like Denver and New Orleans and, and Houston. Um, but this season, Finch has been the defensive guru of this team. And the offense is as much about Nore and Pablo Prigioni, although in Nore, it's pretty much Finch's alter ego. Right. It's, it was interesting to, to hear Finch describe to you that Mike Honori doesn't necessarily have a specific area of, you know, it, it's not football defined like Kirsten Rosa's right. came in and very clearly said, we want an offensive coordinator, we want a defensive coordinator, like this and that. Nori has a role on the offense, has a role in the defense, and has a role in the video room. He kind of oversees right. all elements of that. So he's which I don't think we knew at the beginning of the season. Right. Like, it's very clear that Mike Canori is number two in command of this ship. Without a doubt. I mean, that that is, I said, did you have anyone else in mind or was he the top guy? He said, oh, absolutely. He was the top guy. And when they were, they were apart for five years. I mean, they, they got together right. in Denver was really the only time before the season that they were on the same team. And yet they were on the phone partly because Mike Nori was calling him up every other day to just kind of, because Nori was kind of running their template with everybody's right. got their own variations on it, of course, but just kind of running through things. And one of so the that things. Was like, that was like Blake Griffin Pistons that he was running the show. Yeah, part of it was Blake Griffin Pistons. I think they finished like 26. They weren't very good uh, last year anyway, or maybe it was a year mm -hmm. before. Uh, and part of it was obviously they were building. Right. But um, when I, you think about that, if he was there for Blake, like Blake went over, went through a complete stylistic revolution when he was in, in Detroit. And I know his star has fallen since his Clippers days. But I mean, I, I think Blake was like first or second team all NBA that one year oh, in Detroit. Yeah, right, right. I don't know. If the, I can't remember. Nori was there for three years. I don't know if he ran the offense right away or not. But mm. um, it would just kind of make sense in the, like when right, we, right. we talk about the the Jokic kind of evolution in right. Denver that, that Finch and Nori instigated. Or, you know, in New Orleans, the Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, like Renaissance. Right. Like Finch had an impact there. I, I would I would equate the Blake Griffin thing similarly, kind of right. this out of nowhere, oh, you're good, but we're going to have you tweak some things to be better and honestly more like treat you less like a big. All of those guys, after going through Finch and Nori, came out playing center less like a center. And right? if you recall uh, what many would regard and even I would regard as Griffin's best seasons were very much there wasn't an offense more patterned than Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, and, and Blake Griffin. I mean they That's ran true. that pick and roll and lob and roll or whatever you want to call it just constantly. So uh and and that if if you wanted to describe the 
Finch, and if you want to throw Nori in the Finch Nori uh, method, in a word, it is fluidity. It is flow. That's what they care about. They care about um, moving the ball, moving without the ball, being on the go with a rhythm regardless. Uh, um, and that's one of the reasons I remember back in Vegas when I talked to Finch for over an hour and they didn't have a backup point guard. He was fretting the defense, I'm sure, but he vociferously defended McLaughlin as somebody he could get along with just fine. And some of that had to do with the fact that McLaughlin pushes pace, takes care of the ball, moves the ball, and moves without the ball all the time. If McLaughlin was Delo's size, Finch would make him a star. There was, like this summer, there was a lot of like internal debate. And obviously, Rosas was still like the dictator at, right. at this point. But as I understand it from the, the front office and from the coaching uh, staff standpoint, like it, it's, it, I mean, before pre Patrick Beverly trade, like there was some people saying we don't need to address backup point guard mm -hmm. in, and obviously it's been addressed in a successful way with Patrick Beverly. But even when that happened, just from some of the things I heard, it was like, well, you know, we got it for a good price. Obviously like Wancho and Culver didn't have a future here, but there was confidence that Jordan McLaughlin was going to be able to be the you know the the backup point guard and at a much cheaper figure and I think Finch was you know one of those voices he's obviously a voice pro Patrick Beverly as well but right um I've just always kind of found that you're right that point guard thing was this this huge question that we seem to have but not something that that Finch had well do you remember when uh it was a pregame, wasn't that long ago, it was like within the last week or two where I asked Finch, I, I mentioned that he said that uh, the, they'd had a slam dunk off season the, the, uh, during the last, yeah. actually Gerson Rosas's last public appearance um, was this press conference announcing the signing, the trade of Pat for Pat Bev and the signing of Vando. And at that and point- McLaughlin. And McLaughlin, that's right. Good point. And and, and Torian said, Prince. There you go. And 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 Finch said, uh, you know, it's just we had a great offseason. I said, did you say that because you'd addressed two of the really weak areas uh, that we had talked about in Vegas, power forward and point guard? And he went out of his way to say it had nothing to do with position. It had everything to do with the fact that he got two defensive-minded guys. Yeah. And if you, you know, you have to practice what you preach. So I think that he, well, they haven't have even used okay. Beverly as a point guard, really. Right. Like, think about it. Right. Like it, it's, it's honestly like aesthetically off putting <laughs> the possessions where Patrick Beverly <laughs> runs point guard. It's like you walk it up. All right. right. Pin down. Here we go. Well, now there's already 12 seconds left on the shot clock. We better go. You know, it's so different than when it's McLaughlin or D'Lo and they, right. Honestly, Beverly is more of a two guard in on this team. That's right. And what he does, he, what he has, he does have intelligence to break down an offense. I mean, to break down an opposing yeah. defense by knowing the tendencies. But unfortunately, a lot of that is knowing that they're deferring to his shot. So that he, <laughs> he either winds up, you know, taking a three or that floater. Uh, and sometimes he can pass out of it, but he's not the passer that D'Lo or J-Mac are. And so 
it mm-hmm. becomes, as you're you're right, it is less aesthetic. If it's less aesthetically pleasing to us, imagine what it's like for Finch, who thrives on moving without that, the ball and moving the ball. Yeah, that's not flow. That's not <laughs> flow, and it's a. But no, yeah, I mean Beverly's just more so getting single. It's just a totally different look. Right, you're going to load up so differently if it's D'Angelo Russell initiating a pick and roll or isolation or Anthony Edwards, whatever it may be. Um, let's uh, let's mix in a quick break here, and then uh, I want to talk more about the situational analytics thing that he brought up. Back with Britt in a second. Today's show is brought to you by 20 by 20 Solutions. As I've mentioned before, 20 by 20 Solutions is a Minneapolis-based consultancy that works with growing organizations to create and sustain success. Whether it's technology, workflow, platform architecture, or more, they'll help you build a strategy that fits your goal and execute a plan that fits your resources. This basketball season, 20 by 20 has partnered with Begin Anew, a Minnesota-based nonprofit focused on helping people in their journeys to recover from addiction, providing support and conversation, to people throughout the process of recovery. 20 by 20 is sponsoring a donation campaign through the score side platform where you can tie your giving automatically to every rebound the Timberwolves grab this season. Go to 20 by 20 solutions.com slash begin to install the score side app and look for the rebounds for recovery campaign and join the campaign. Support your team and your community with every board for the rest of the season by going to 20 by 20 solutions.com slash begin. 20 by 20 Solutions, your sixth man on a winning team. All right, we are back with Britt Robson of MinPost. Wrote a big old feature on Micah Nori today, the, the Wolves and Chris Finch's lead assistant on, on the Wolves bench, where we've been talking about kind of that Nori's job is to find efficiencies, to, to you know, to move them further into the green um, with tweaks. And I know he didn't, he totally or he more so described these tweaks and these situational things from, from like a 10,000 feet sort of view, not in real specifics, but do you now, when you think about it, that, that this is what Nori's role has been, where do you feel like you've seen that show up on the floor most that, that situational impact that, that uh, Nori through Finch has? Um lineups on the floor that are kind of treading water lineups that hopefully can be more than treading water lineups. Mm. Nori is very, very concerned with having the people they want on the floor on the floor at the most important times. I think Nori is also finally convinced Finch, who wasn't doing situational substitutions of like per possession, until about a month ago, where yep. all of a sudden he began to like swap in Vando and maybe uh, easily, yeah, offense defense stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think he has gotten more into that. Um, clearly, timeouts. Uh, one of the things that Butch Carter was a huge believer in was that uh, each team scouts the hell out of the other. And so, um, they, if they're good scouting, uh, they you start to run a play and everybody knows what the play is. Well, Butch Carter loved to run a set out of a timeout that looked like a pattern play and run something huh. different. And so, and he said, you know, timeouts, he, he's flat out said, timeouts are the, uh, the ways you can put blind spots on the other team because they don't know what you're going to run. 
I mean, he went as far as to say, you always call a timeout when you have the ball at the top of the key. So you can begin to figure out, you know, what, how the defense is beginning to line up for things and stuff. So, I mean, it's, uh, he's a fascinating guy, Butch Carter. I mean, I was going to done a story on him. He was, he was fun to talk to. He talked about winning the first and third quarters. And uh, also the way to get the refs on your side is to run a really clean, crisp beginnings of the first and third quarter when everybody's just starting to get back into the game. And then uh, he says, analytically, it's proven that you get much better calls. <laughs> it, it was interesting because it's like a, a lot of the things he, he mentioned sound kind of like old school analytics now where it's right. just like kind of like what we would refer to as pretty basic of like right. what's your first quarter scoring what's your third quarter scoring right but kind of weave together all of those small things back in the late 90s early 2000s like you do that for 82 games right and you're probably gonna move the needle right and and that's what you saw with those those toronto teams that butch carter coached and nori was there for i also thought it was kind of like I mean, it's like early Vince Carter and T-Mac on those exactly, teams, right? Exactly, Isn't that kind of right. like, right. you think about that, a little T-Mac and Talk comparison. about flow, right, right. Yeah. And, and the other amazing thing was he said that uh, coming out of halftime into the third quarter, it's extremely important to have your team immediately engaged. And what he used to do in practices, none of this is in the story, but what he used to do in practices is take everybody off the floor into the locker room for like 10 minutes and then come out and have a scrimmage and the winning team would get $500 and the losing team would have to run laps. Wow. Just, to, just to get people into the idea that you yeah. come out from the locker room ready to go. And he said, if you're ready to play at the in the beginning of the first quarter, the beginning of the third, it's when other teams are less engaged because they're just kind of getting into it. And it's also when the refs are most kind of getting back into it. And so they're watching things more carefully. Well, don't we know this like to be so true, like <laughs> both sides of it? Like you've seen the Wolves be the young team for right. years. I mean, right. how many how many times have we written about like, oh, the Wolves third quarter woes? Right, right. Or or back in the like uh K-Love, Rubio, Berea days, like fourth quarter, you know, Begging execution down right, the, right. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's real and it's real in the positive way too. The you know, the Warriors dynasty was like the nastiest third quarter team he, of all time. They came out and he, pop people. He said San Antonio, Chicago, yep. uh and in Golden State, but there was one team actually in between those. He said all for like 15 years, the teams that right. won the first and third quarter were like winning rings or something. Huh. <laughs> the, He's a fascinating dude. All right. Um, the, the one thing that I, I've actually been kind of bringing this up to you for the past few weeks, I think, is this idea of do they make a significant strategy shift here in the final quarter of the season? And and I mean, and one of the ways to somewhat significantly shift your strategy is to, you know, change who you're playing, change your rotations, change who you're even starting. And 
I've kind of had this like inkling for myself for a while that maybe it makes sense to change the starting lineup with this team. And that's been so hard to like actually bear out in terms of numbers because, you know, you, you still look now when the Wolves starting lineup is like fourth in the league and net rating of that, that five man group. But right. if you look at it and when you wrote your story about it, Rob Mahoney wrote his story about it. It was in plus this 50, like, right? <laughs> it was plus 50. Yeah. Plus 50 net rating when those guys are on the floor and it was kind of the lead up to the COVID time. Then it broke. We weren't seeing any of it. And then this team comes back on January 3rd, everyone's back healthy. And that starting unit has actually been worse on both sides of the ball than when they're not on the floor. They only have a net rating of plus two with the offense being substantially worse than when those guys aren't out there and the defense actually being worse too. Now, again, the numbers aren't a proof here one way or the other, but we saw 12 games of this starting five play together pre-January 3rd. Uh And... And they had a net rating of plus 50. They've now played 12 games together since, and the net rating is just plus two. So I think we're at a point where numbers begin to back up and an inkling that I have, and maybe others have, that there's a, a tweak to be made here. And I'll be I'll be curious to see if I'd be curious to know if Nori has any of that sort of inclination himself. One of the things I do know, a couple of things that weren't in the piece. Nori is a big believer in one of the big three being on the court at all times. Uh, mm. They, they kind of crept away from that when the bench was really humming. Um, and so, you know, that's interesting. Well, that was, it was a big four then. It was Cat, Ant, D'Lo, and then the <laughs> four was the bench five. Yeah, <laughs> J-Mac. Right, right. Uh. Uh, and, and I think that... Um, Finch really wants to hold the line on having a good, crazy man defense, which, mm-hmm. of course, you know, is right up my alley. It's just that I don't have as much faith in their ability to sustain that as Finch apparently does. Uh, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he he also knows it, but he wants to wring as much out of it as he possibly can, because let's face it, that is there was their dominant identity. And if they become, if their identity becomes an offensive juggernaut, I personally don't have enough faith despite their words. And despite the fact that I acknowledge how far both of them have gone in this direction, but I'm not sure that Kat and Dilo will devote as much time and energy and just commitment to that end of the floor. If, this team begins to tilt in a different direction and lean more into their offense. And if they do lean more into their offense, it will almost inevitably come at the expense of some of their defensive intensity. So I think if you were to ask Finch right now, and I think that may be one of the reasons he was so testy toward the, you know, end of the pre all-star time is he wants to keep this defense active and retain that personality. What Cat was calling Wolves basketball as recently as like a week or two before the end of the break. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you. Um, you know what, Britt? I, I watched the Wolves 
Um, it was their ninth game of the season. It was against Memphis. I watched it yesterday. And just because they're they're playing them right. again right. Um, tomorrow. And I also just kind of wanted to go back and look at like, oh, the good old days of the defense. Right. You know? And and again, this is just one game, but when I watched it, the biggest difference in the defense, if I had to point to one area, it's Anthony Edwards. Uh-huh. And and that that's a very good is, point because he was paying attention on baseline cuts and stuff like that. Totally, man. It just pot like his awareness in that low man spot and the yep, ability, yep. Uh, the elite ability he has to get over, play the low man and intercept the pass. He has let corner. a lot of baseline cuts go by a lot. It's like it was I don't know. I should maybe try and like pull some clips together and like show the difference. But that's the difference. That's the difference of this team is is it starts with the the low man rotation idea there, but right executing it, actually executing it, whoever whoever it is, and and then going above and beyond execution by intercepting the pass. That's what changed everything. That's right. what got the team out running and and going. And the one player to my eye that is doing that the least now is Anthony Edwards. Or, the level of which he was doing it at that has dropped the most is Anthony Edwards. I would agree with that. Uh, and it's, it's been something that's bugged me for a while now. I tweeted about it a few times during games. Um, it always does feel like it looks like he's being ambushed, like somebody's sneaking in behind him, but that's his job. His job mm-hmm. is to make sure either somebody doesn't sneak in behind him or that he so aggressively goes and covers down that somebody can slide over for him. His stasis stasis in a really important defensive position on the floor. Bottom line, almost when there's a layup line, watch how often Anthony Edwards is in the paint. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really some of what's happening here. Um, And Britt, I don't think it's a – I think what some people are would be hearing me say this, and you agree with it, it'd be like, well, it hasn't been as good for Ant because he's been banged up. And what no, I'm talking about, thing. yes, exactly. This is, I mean, it, it, it's literally a mental thing to, to be engaged in that gap and, and get over and rotate. Now, if you want to say it's a physical thing, it's a physical thing on the recovery back out. I to agree with that, that interception yep. on That's the, to the hard corner. On the knees. Recovery is really hard on the knees because you have to stop and reverse. But it isn't like the recovery part is what makes this special. The first step has not been there from Ant. I agree. The, the rotation part, which is like l- pretty much something anybody can do with anticipation. You don't need to right, be right. super physically gifted to to effectively rotate. And yeah, so I, I just wanted to to say that like and D'Lo has not covered himself in glory in that aspect either. To be honest with you, I mean D'Lo was really playing well in terms of off, you- off ball stuff. Can I give you the weirdest stat? Yeah, is he? Season? Yeah. <laughs> um, I gotta find it here in my my thing. Okay, it's not my Malik Beasley Nas Reed great defense. That was such <laughs> no, a you, oh man. You know I don't crazy. like that one. Went right up the wall. <laughs> well, this one might be equally dumb and and not representative of anything. Um, of the thirty highest volume players who have defended spot up situations synergy splits for a spot up situation you know a closeout 
and right. you know defending the shot or a closeout and getting into a guarding position of the 30 highest volume players in that D'Angelo Russell ranks number one in the entire NBA in points allowed per possession in that. Now, is that because he's late to defend some circumstances? I mean, what are they what are they calling? So I went and watched him because I'm like, what the hell is this? Uh, right. And and I think part of it is that D'Lo is hidden um, on a, the team's worst right. offensive player. Right. Um, As he should and, be because he is better off ball. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm not I mean, saying Rudy Gobert so just, is hidden too, but we yeah, know exactly. why, you know, right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think some of it is the person that he's closing out onto is not a high caliber player right. more times than not. But I also think what D'Lo does, and this, it looks bad sometimes because it looks like an Olay, is I think he does effectively contest the shot. Uh-huh. Like he gets up, like, and you could drive past me, right? right? But I'm gonna I'm gonna run you off this three point line, or at least get my my hand up in in that sort of way. And and a lot of times it's gonna you know you right. can cut for the D low low lights, and it's like right. oh, and then the guy goes in for a dunk. But I think if these numbers do mean anything, I think it's that that D low is effectively prioritizing the most profitable profitable elements of the offense. Well, that would fit with his scholastic approach. I mean, I think D whether you call it analytics or just watching film and making his own conclusions is a smart basketball player in terms of Mm -hmm. figuring things out. I think his brain is more of an asset than his heart, which isn't to denigrate him um, because his brain is, I think, pretty substantial. Uh, But I do think there are times when his brain tells him that this is wasted energy. You know, kind of like what Kevin Love would right. do, you know, on layups sometimes. Well, um, to that point, a year ago, the same stat, the same guarding spot up play types. Uh-huh. When he was on the Wolves, there was 140 players in the league who defended 150 or more of these spot ups. And D'Lo of those 140 players ranked 106th. So <laughs> this was actually an area he was in the in what the points generated right. from those play types were. He was horrible in last season and has made a huge lift in this season. Now, I don't know if it means that he's actually elite at it. What I think it probably signals more is using him in a different type of situation, different players to close out on, a scrambling out for a closeout in this scheme compared to what they're running under Saunders and Vantapool is right. a little bit different. Now, I I have not figured out how to do this with NBA.com. I don't know if Synergy does it. Can you break it down into chunks of time, or are you just taking the season? You you can break down Synergy. You could do like the month. Time, you could do like in the last month. This is what's happened. I typically I have not been able. I, to I typically out don't how to use do that it. NBA.com. Yeah, it it might not even be. I generally speaking, it just is like. For people so they know I, i'm not treating these numbers from synergy as some sort of gospel i think no but it is something to look good. at it is good but synergy's best tool is that it allows you to click on the 225 times that Delo has <laughs> guarded a spot up and so you can actually yeah, watch what it looks true. like that's true not not necessarily what it might be and that's that's where you see the context of the 
oh, this, it's a rotation in this sort of way versus right, a rotation right. when they're running uh, a different sort of scheme. So I say that to mean that I don't normally break it down by the months or can't even remember if I have because normally right. I'm not looking at the points per possession. I'm looking at the how have they been guarding a pick and roll lately. I want to watch 50 clips of that or whatever. Well, and I, what I will say is, I mean, I wrote a piece about it pretty early. My uh, mea culpa on D'Lo because he was playing great defense uh, the first month or so of the season, six weeks of the season where he not only was he doing off ball stuff where everybody agrees that he can be really good, but he was doing kind of sneaky ambush contest things that, mm -hmm. um, that again, didn't look like he was flying around, but he was kind of being in the right place at the right time a lot. And I yeah. have not personally Prioritizing not seen something. that as much. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe he's yeah. just smarter than my eye test right now, and I should go. Or maybe that. it only works. Maybe this whatever we're calling this D-Lo cat and mouse game. Maybe it only works really well when you do have the other three, four guys rotating effectively behind you. Uh huh. That makes sense. I mean, that's that's. It's like cat always has great numbers in terms of how many shots he contested when he was playing drop, and mm -hmm. the and the effective field goal percentage of those yep. shots but some of that was just i mean i i never could figure out how that happened. no i can i can tell you it's but cats numbers look good in it but then you look at where the wolves rank overall in rim defense and it was bad it's because they he only guard the one contest. guy and the guy would yeah pass. right like it you were still on the floor to defend the rim as the center right. even if like they dropped it off to the dunker and you didn't rotate over to contest it yeah that right. doesn't count as a contested shot For it still you, counts right, right, right. as a missed rim defense right right so that's what i mean that's and why that's with any of what these I things mean when you say other people you know maybe you're not doing yeah, yeah. things it clearly um i mean as somebody who has always loved nba defense ever since i grew up watching the boston celtics who were the really the first nba team to ever play defense in any meaningful way <laughs> under red arback and bill russell and you know uh, tom sanders all these guys um i have always been frustrated by not having really good it's just very very hard to signal uh to to make eye test and analytics add up yeah. really well. I mean, remember that year about two or three years ago where Kawhi's offensive numbers, I mean, defensive numbers yeah, defensive, were, ter yeah. were terrible? And then mm. you'd watch him and like he was totally shutting down his man. But, you know, it didn't well, work. Well, there's just, yeah, it, it's these on-off stats. I don't think they're bad. It, it's, it's, it's one of the, you know, particularly yeah. when you can put together 20, 30 games of net exactly. rating yep. plus my, like whatever that it does teach you things, but it also, that's why I feel like you can sniff those ones out that have, that are a little funky. If you're watching the team right. every game, right. you know, and, and you know, we're only doing that with the wolves. So you don't, it wasn't right. Luke, like Luca's numbers were kind of like that on offense this year with Dallas. Right. It's, is Luka Doncic actually hurting your offense? No. <laughs> like there's and that that's what the fun part is is you go, right. "Okay, well we know it's not actually what the numbers are saying, 
but ultimately the defense was bad in those minutes. So why? And, right, and it's, right. it's typically about for good or for bad. The other four guys are right. what's play, playing it or like Jokic's numbers this year on versus off. Like they're like, Oh my God, the biggest swing of all time. And on like net rating on versus off. It's like, well, yeah, it's because their bench sucks. They don't have a backup center, you know? So it's going to, but it's yeah, some of that context. All right, let's, let's mix in one more break and uh, talk about the wolves coming back here against Memphis tomorrow. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we're back with Britt Robson. Final segment here. Um, we're recording this the day before the Wolves return uh, to play from the all-star break. I feel like, Britt, I was kind of sleeping on or just like operating one week at a time and not looking ahead at the Wolves' schedule, but holy shit. Memphis, back-to-back, right. Philly, then Cleveland, then Two Golden days State. Off and, then, and then another back-to-back. Whew. Whew. I yeah. mean, and I was... Uh, I was talking to Adam Mares yesterday who who covers the Nuggets and and you know they're kind of they're kind of looking over their shoulder like oh is Minnesota or the Clippers are they coming for this 6 seed whatever and basically the conclusion we came to was like well I'll get back to you in 6 days cuz whatever happens to the Wolves in these 4 days is going to completely define whether or not they're going to be able to compete for the 6 seed let alone the you know the 5 seed in the West. Yeah, I I find myself remarkably uninterested in the six seed chase simply because I just don't think there's Oof. really a good chance of it happening. Um, well, okay, but all right. I can agree I mean, with that, but I'll disagree on the importance. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. Without okay. a doubt, yeah. I mean, you, you, to your point, the last time we were on together, they don't get Phoenix or Golden State. They get Memphis or somebody, granted, um, and they wouldn't have to play a play-in game, granted, which is something – that this franchise should worry about, given how little playoff experience they have. Mm-hmm. If they draw the Lakers or the Clippers in a in a play-in game, that's not fun, uh, you know, to have oh. to contemplate. But 
I just, I don't think, I think this team is humming in terms of what it can do. I don't think they have too many other gears to get to. Humming? I don't know, man. You feel like the Wolves were humming for well, the I mean, the defense into the break? Put, put it this way. I don't think that they can put their best defense and their best offense together by any stretch of the imagination. I think that they Depressing. will have one. Well, I mean, I think the evidence is pretty strong here. You know, uh, like I said, I think. If, well, they will have to to get the 60. They will have to to get the 60. Without a doubt. And that's precisely why. I mean, these teams that they're about to play, um, you know, I'm actually really kind of curious to see how Harden and Embiid work together. That that could be the sneaky. In person, man, that's going to be sweet. That could be the sneaky, weird game uh, where, you know, the Wolves put off. The, it could be the game where, like, Ant gets 45 and and Cat, you know, is uh, wagging uh, his, you know. His I kid. think they'll have to, man. I think Philly will come at them in that game. Like, I, yeah. like I, I'm not yeah. saying there isn't going to be things to, like, well, hard to iron out between both Embiid. not played well against the Wolves last time they played. I mean, Embiid kind of did. He was back from, but he and I think he I think that's about like eighty-eight times. That's about motivation one hundred on James Harden's list right now. The last time he played back in the time since he last played basketball, a lot of people have been talking shit about James Harden. Yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, and I don't, I, I'm not. I think he's going to try and take that out on on Friday. I, I'm not saying you. Yeah, to, no, to, I know. I'm not saying I am a Harden guy either. I'm just saying yeah. I expect Harden to to not be messing around on Friday. He's a weird guy, man. I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know what totally focused, energized James Harden is on the court with Joel Embiid. I mean, Joel Embiid is not going to dip below 35 usage anytime soon or whatever he is right now. I assume he's about 35. He is, he is an appropriate ball hog. He is somebody who demands to have the entire offense run through him, not James Harden. And I think that's going to be hard. Yeah, no, I, there's going to be, Again, I still don't have my head wrapped that's around what, what that's going to be. That's what the Wolves need to seize upon. You know, that's mm-hmm. what... Uh, and, and, and how do you seize upon that with defense? I, you run, for one thing. I think, you well, know, James Harden... Well, you Joel get back Embiid. to Wolves basketball. Yeah, <laughs> as Cap would call it. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. you do that scrappy defense. You trap Harden and, and he gets frustrated. You know, maybe even take Josh who's the best? Bogey who's the best? Balls. <laughs> who's the best in the league at at splitting a trap? Harden when he's on. Yeah, right. Which we don't know. We don't. We don't know. Let's uh, let's do let's do Memphis first. Okay, um, sure. I love Memphis. That that's that's Thursday. Um, intrigue based on the like the history of how these teams have played each other. They lose the first game in overtime to them. Then they beat them by like 45. Right. The Wolves beat the Grizzlies by 45. And then the third game was in Memphis where it was the Wolves were handling them at halftime. 
and it kind of just slowly trickled away in the second half. They lost a close one. I don't know, like by seven or something. Right. Um, and and Mem- that was a Memphis is that was Memphis's eleventh straight win. Um, it's kind of been for Memphis a real peaks and valleys sort of thing. It's also like the Wolves are very different than the first time they played them. Again, I told you I watched that that game. Right. Right. And and the, it was Pat Bev's first game starting. Like they had Vando still wasn't in the starting unit with them. No Dylan you know, Brooks. These, no Dylan Brooks. Like both of these teams have um, fallen deeper into identities or found identities since they, you know, since they first played. I guess Memphis probably to some greater success or more consistent success over the course of the year. But I don't know, man. I just think this is a team that like is better than the Wolves, but that the Wolves can have logical aspirations of believing they can beat them. If I was doing like a Jim Peterson's keys to the game, Mm. I would say bench. Memphis Mm. has a great bench, especially against the Wolves. Guys like Clark and... uh, Conchar had 17 rebounds against them last (laughs) time. Remember that? Yeah, he might be still hurt though, isn't he? I think... Well, now I'm blurring together... I watched it play, but it was a game from months ago. Maybe not. What, I don't, I'm what not about sure. the guy who, um, the defensive guard who occasionally starts? He's really good. D'Anthony, D'Anthony Melton. Yeah, uh, D'Anthony Melton. Right, right. He right. had a great game against him, too. Um, they've got some yeah, guys. They, Clark beats up people in the paint in a weird yeah. way. And uh, he's always played well against the Wolves. I would love to see Clark on the Wolves, by the way. He's probably my right. favorite guy to. Uh, like add he's he's kind of like a a combination of the best of Vando and Prince, uh, right? In his own way. I mean, that's actually that's really overstated. You actually said last time they were playing Memphis that you thought Jaron Jackson Jr. was the perfect type of four to put next to Cat. Oh, he is. Yeah, because they could they could flip so well. I mean, they could do four or five actions together. Both can shoot from three. Both can post up. Both have interesting defensive profiles. Um, I would love to a lot see of those fouls, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of fouls. But part of that is because they aren't great defenders, either one of them, but they are willing defenders. So, you know, I just I- looked it up. Um, Conchar is not on the injury report. The only two players of relevance are uh, Dylan Brooks is out targeting so, a March yeah. return, so he won't play. And then Xavier Tillman, um, who's the backup center, is yeah. day, listed as day-to-day. Who and actually they'll, they'll go Triple J at center sometimes anyway, I think. Well, the the most recent game against Memphis, Adams didn't play. At, so they had they should keep they had Jackson on board against the Wolves. Yeah. They, Nas they Reed, the only guy in the in the whole fucking NBA that Nas Reed owns <laughs> is Steve Adams. <laughs> well, Cat Cat has or Adams has trouble with Cat too. I mean, it's just yeah, it's but, a perimeter based big. But I would, if you want to get Nas Reed some burn and get Cat some rest, whenever Adams is in the game, put Nas out mm. there. Right. I, I remember it was really interesting at the the last Memphis game. I was there in Memphis, and we had different media seats than normal. I was right by the Wolves bench, and I could hear Finch. And the whole first half, he kept telling Cat to set set up higher and higher on the perimeter, like thirty feet. Up up top there because they were trying to yank out right. Jackson. 
Right. That was the only big there. And then it's like Ant had like 20 points in the Very first quarter. Or that something. actually is a smart way to attack them. If you can, uh, be, especially if Tillman isn't playing. Um, yeah, that's that's a good idea. And may, um, if, again, you know, Finch's slow but steady mantra, and I agree with it 100%, even when he's been a great three-point shooter, is work from the inside out. And if Ant right. can do that against Memphis, I think their odds improve considerably. Well, I think it's it's kind of matchup driven, right? If it's Jackson and Kyle Anderson both out there as the bigs, then Ant has Ant can destroy Kyle Anderson, I think, off the Yeah. Field. Or or even if Anderson is the one coming over for the help. Now right. if it's Brandon Clark, yeah, that's a that's a different I mean, Clark's just really good at that wall. But you know what? The, most of the people most of the time I, I'd be cur- I bet you that in terms of minutes per game. Clark gets more minutes per game against the Wolves than any other NBA team. Because whenever I see his stats, they're nothing. And then I think, right. well, well, when Brandon he's one Clark of the best offensive the rebounders. He's one of the best offensive rebounders in the league, and the Wolves are one of the worst defensive rebounding teams. So, yeah, I put that guy out there. And not only that, but he is also a guy who goes right up the gut on his drives, on his uh, yeah. pocket pass pick and rolls and stuff. He gets a lot of points on just, like, jaw getting him easy buckets. And uh, him getting put back, scored by, he he is a guy that manages to avoid box outs really well. Not that the Wolves are great at boxing out anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. Bando obviously moves too much to box out a lot. And Cat has never been great at boxing out. I just, I think this is a team where the Wolves offensive fire, like, I don't think Memphis has answers for the Wolves offensive firepower. I agree. The, the way you set that up now obviously the other the other side of the floor is the is the bigger it'll problem. be like 128 to 119 yeah probably if, if the defense doesn't bounce back you know I, I I could see the wolves like not saying it's gonna sustain for all 23 games couldn't you see tomorrow or even just these first two games seeing the wolves come out like really engaged defensively because they've been hearing it the whole time like Fresh legs. Like, I, I could see the Wolves having two defensive performances that look more like the past. Now, granted, it's really good. It's John Morant and Joel Embiid and James Harden. Like, you might not even be able to stop those with good defense, but you get my point. As much as I love Pat Bev, um, he, he's he got – taking on John Morant is a little bit more than he could chew. Um and they kind of hey showed. man, they they shut down Morant the last two times. Well, Memphis won one of those games, and Morant did come up in big moments in that third meeting. He you're did. Right. He, that, he, was, he was in foul trouble. He was in foul trouble too in that. And, and that second game, you're right. Uh, for whatever reason, I just Memphis didn't have it that night all the way around. Yeah, they, but, but I think I that was know, also I like mean, a road trip for them. Yeah, something. I don't know. Put it this way: if he can hold John Morant below twenty and ten. 20 points, 10 assists. Uh, I think that's a real accomplishment. But I also think it's entirely possible that uh, John Morant drives Pat Bev crazy. (laughs) I mean, literally, you know, just like Uh acting out, you know, wanting fouls, maybe some uh, sneaky behavior, you know, kind of like, anyway. Yeah, it's it's also a situation. It's also a situation where, um, Memphis doesn't have a ton of like 
other dynamic wings that can really puncture the Wolves defense. So you can go with McDaniels on jaw for an extended period of time. You could go with Vando on jaw for a, you know, a, a chunk of time too. You can give him, the Wolves can afford to give jaw different looks. And that's why if DeAnthony Melton is hot, that's going to be huge. Or if he, mm -hmm. if he gets in a rhythm because he can score, he's not a reliable score, but he does have 20 point nights. Sure. Um, I think and that's Bain a, just shooting. Bain just is Bain, not rotating yeah. to shoot. Well, yeah. Bain, you know, part of that is you just keep somebody home. And uh, obviously three-point shooting has always been not a high priority for Finch under these defensive schemes. But you've every, every time, every time they play a dead-eye shooter like that, I go, uh-oh, cross matches. Right, like, right, right. I don't think they can you do the not, thing. You should not put Vando on Bain, though. Mm -hmm. because pull, all he does is catch I mean not all he does but more than a lot of the guys that Vando guards he is a catch and shooter and you don't want Vando just hanging out there not moving around while Bane waits and like you got to pick and choose the Vando you can't have him be a go right. for the offensive rebound every single time and guard one of the opponents and best fly around on defense off. while Desmond Bain is moving through six picks right right well you just I mean, particularly how fast Memphis plays too. You're just right. not like a lot of different guys are going to need to guard Jaw. A lot of different guys are going to need to guard Bain and you know whoever. It's I, that's a big problem with this team over the the past six weeks of bad defense too. Is is just the nature of like, well, I'm being guarded by a guy who's different than the guy I'm supposed to be guarding on defense. That's hard, you know. That happens hey, all the time. You know what I team. what I just thought of? That's going to be a really fun matchup. Hmm. J Mac and Tyus. Oh yeah, isn't that going to be great? Be like that Spider Man meme. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, see who gets who commits the first turnover. You know, because they both are, <laughs> are really good at steals and deflections, and are really good at keeping the ball. So, will, will one of them break the other in some way, shape, or form? Because Tyus is having a great year. I mean, he's one of the Tyus. Tyus is as cool and collected as he's ever been in his career. I watched the the last so Jaden play in right, right. in their last game, and so it's just Tyus, and he's just he's hitting so threes unfazed. Yeah, it it's just somebody who is six flat like him and doesn't have a pull up jumper game. He does have a little bit of a floater. He does have a floater. But he, right. He should not be able to get into the lane and find <laughs> wide open corner three point shooters as much as he does. It's crazy. I'm like, why is he's this? He's got so great easy? court vision and he's got a really good handle. He's a lot like J Mac in that sense. Yeah, and, and a little he's bit more actually even a better shooter than J Mac this year, right? Which right. isn't I, that hard. I mean, I mean Tice, <laughs> Tice is one of the best free agents on the market this summer, without a doubt. Which maybe says more about the free agent market, but at the same time, like that's a he. Remember, Tice got paid kind of a lot, like three twenty seven or whatever. Yeah, he did, and yeah. he might get a raise. Or, you know, maybe a sign and trade. Cleveland dumps Colin Sexton or something. Yeah, that's I yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd love, love to see, see Cleveland Tyus on Cleveland. I think though this is probably the best spot for Tyus. Like if you actually made him a 30 minute right. a game point guard, you know. I know. Um I don't even know. I wonder if he even wants that. I think yeah. And and the coach, who's a very good coach, I always forget his name, but uh Tyler Jenkins. Yeah. Taylor Jenkins, yeah. There we go. Yeah. Uh 
He same. doesn't play Tyus and uh, Morant all that often, but it is kind of fun to see them eh, together in the background. Sometimes they do. Sometimes yeah, they do. Exactly. Because Tyus is like their sixth best player. Right, right. You know, you gotta you kind of gotta make make that happen. I, I'm yeah, I I've been talking about Memphis uh, a a ton recently, but it's well one, the Wolves are playing them, and then two, I think this is just I don't know. I, I really do believe a playoff series against Memphis is just a lot more valuable than getting the seven or eight seed. You disagree with me, I know, but no, it isn't so much that as I just uh I why uh rub my hands over things that you know it's like pretending <laughs> you're over a warm fire and you're not, you know. Well, we don't the flames are a little bit lower than they were a few <laughs> weeks ago. It's a larger it's a larger gap between Don't there. forget that lunch. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Well we'll see. I also like 23 games is not a lot of games, but it's not nothing. Like there could be oh, there could and, be movement in these standings. And, and after this early brutal stretch, they do play, they play OKC, I think, a couple of times. They play some mm-hmm. teams back to back who are just patsies. Um I don't know why those teams freak me out. <laughs> like the Detroit, Detroit. I went into that Detroit, Detroit, Sacramento, Sacramento. Like, Detroit, I don't even know. <laughs> Detroit beat the crap out of them though and that i think that's one of the reasons they they did not play that well against sacramento is that especially in those that second game detroit just you know the bad teams that try and punk them often have new orleans you know the same sort of way exactly that's that's that what that's the inferior opponent tactic against and and a very very smart one because let's face Mm -hmm. it cat does not like to get hit and and they well, don't have size. I mean, and that's Memphis is going to punch you, and Bead's going to punch you, and then you got Cleveland, who's punched <laughs> you harder than anybody's punched. Cleveland doesn't even have to punch you. They're busy. They're <laughs> bigger guys that are moving faster than you are. I mean, that's the thing about Mobley and uh, Jared Allen is they, whatever JB has done with that offense, they fly around on offense even more than on defense. Part of that is Garland's having a great year. Is he out right now? Well, he played. He was out before, but he played in the All Star game. Oh, he did. That's right. Okay. So I think I think the expectation is he's going to be back after after the break, which is huge. It's huge yeah. for that game because, oh, and now they got Levert too. But yeah. when they before they had Levert and had yeah, no they were, they were Garland, no Sexton, the, no Rubio, right, right. Worst. That was the worst team offensive team I've seen in the league the whole year. <laughs> Any game. I mean, I watched them play the Pacers before the break. And they're like, okay, I guess we're going to run this play for Dean Wade. You know, it's like, I mean, they, they outside of like K-Love post-ups, they had nothing inside yeah. the arc. But that, but that team, like they've leaned into that physicality. They don't necessarily, they need just enough of that right. um, to, you know, to, and they're to compete big. with you. I mean, let's face it. Uh, yeah, yeah. And Laurie the Marcus doesn't even need to be physical. He's one of those guys that can grab balls over people's heads. Because he's mm-hmm. he, he's often matched up with the three, and he's right. learned. Well, you know, Delo will be guarding him. Delo will yeah, be guarding that's him. That's right. Bet. There you go. Well, they get ready for some rebounds. Yeah, well, I don't know, man. It's going to be uh yeah. We're going to learn a lot. But you in know what? This next week, I miss the NBA, man. I didn't, you know, I I I taped both the uh, you know the pre the 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 pre-game, you know, the, the dunk contest, the three-point shooting and everything. And I, I taped the uh, 
the all-star game. And I found myself doing what I often do when I'm just kind of looking at other teams. I'm finding yeah. out where the runs are and where the turning points are. And and so obviously I I went to three-point shooting because I wanted to see how Cat did. And I went to uh, Curry's quarters, you know. Insane. That, was, that was fun, man. But uh, I'm glad I didn't waste a lot of time on all the other stuff. I'm not a I'm not a fan. Yeah, I I actually um I I normally like don't watch any of it. Mostly just as kind of like a break or whatever. Um, but whenever the I wasn't doing anything, the Rising Stars game, I thought that was so fun. Oh, was it? They tried hard. Like they had a they set it up so it was like uh like a little mini tournament. And like the final tournament, like these young, like 19, 20, 21 year olds, like they were going at it. Like they're going at it to is that it's the cool insight when, one or is that the one that you're talking about the real rising stars one? Yeah, the real rising stars okay, where it was yeah, like LaMelo right. was Ignite, out there Ignite, and Ant didn't, yeah, right, right. didn't um, play. Ant didn't play? Well, he like played like a couple minutes and then yeah, your wish came true. He basically Good. didn't do anything. But it Excellent. was, it was you know, it was, it's, that's what started to happen in these all-star games over the past three, four years, which credit to the players of like effort in the fourth quarter, and you kind of see like what their own vision of the pecking order of the league is a little right, bit. Right. I just, I mean, like Embiid, I think he's actually been on the losing team, but late game offense, like Joel Embiid's uh, usage rate in fourth quarters of all star <laughs> games is through the roof, you know? And that's because people are like, yeah, man, let the big guy get it. Like he's our best right. option, you know, to to score here. So I, I, I miss it too. It's been, it's been, I could have like I could have gone for games like yesterday. I was ready to be without a doubt. And we yeah. had some really good ones. I mean, we're going to be home against Memphis and against the Sixers, and then the mm-hmm. other two are on the road. Cleveland and who's the fourth team? No, it's Cleveland on Monday, and then um, is Golden Cleveland State home? back on Tuesday? No, Cleveland's on the road, but Golden State on Tuesday is back at home. Yeah, um, Golden State is not going to be fun. Um, eh. Golden State's like a machine now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Don't want to play them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't want to get. I don't want to see the Wolves get machine gunned in the first round of the playoffs. I don't think that helps that much. Right. I don't I want, want to see series. Raymond just basically taunting Cat for five games. Yeah. Getting punked by Golden State in a four-game sweep. I. The hangover effect of that going into the offseason, of an offseason that's got some question marks, yeah. you know, in terms of a lot of things. Um, yeah, I don't think that would be all that helpful. Right. I don't I don't I don't think that would be all that helpful, but we'll see. We'll see where this team uh shakes out again. 23 games to go the the rest of the way. We'll learn a lot about um yeah, just where they're trajecting in uh in this this coming week. A good primer for getting back into Wolves basketball is taking a look at this Mike Nori piece that Britt wrote today. It's up at Min Post as you're listening to this. So uh, give that a read. Britt, I appreciate you on behalf of other people um, uncovering some Mike Nori information that you know I didn't. I didn't even know myself, so it was well done. Appreciate it. Uh, he's Britt Robson. Follow him on Twitter. Read him at Mimpost. And you can follow me. I'm at Dane Moore MBA on Twitter. I will talk to you after the Memphis game on Thursday night. Till then, he's Britt. I'm Dane. 
Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.